0: Alright, well, good morning, overlay. Good morning. It is wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team, and it's always a joy to be on this journey with you. You might want to grab your notes out of your handouts and uh, just help you follow along, and you might want to take notes as well, and and um, we started talking last week about our purposes, the purposes of our church, the purposes of our life. We're kind of going to continue that conversation today. This is one of those messages where the themes of which we want to talk about at least once a year, if not more than that. So um, you can see the title of our message today, Outlandish Love. And I begin by just recognizing that we all have all kinds of things that we love we all have like lists populated of things that we love for example you love your favorite band right you too uh, that's on God's iPod you love your your favorite uh, television show. Uh, You love a a, a beautiful, classic ride, right? You want to make sure that uh, you got a classic car somewhere in there. And of course, you love guacamole. Uh, You do because you are holy, and it's holy guacamole. So that's a dumb joke. I'm sorry. I apologize. But whatever the list is, you got to make sure that it's populated with the right things. For example, none of those things are God or people. And those are the most important things for us to love. Last week we talked about loving God as our first purpose, our first priority. And today we're following up with uh, talking about how to outlandishly love people and the call that Jesus has for us to do that. So what I want to do is I want to begin rapid fire showing you several verses that talk about who it is that Jesus is calling us to love. Who it is that that God's people are to love. So let's just jump in. The first one's from the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You might want to circle the word your neighbor. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the Lord's speaking. He's communicating to his people. You're to love Your neighbor as yourself. So, neighbors were to love. And then, of course, in the New Testament, Jesus expounds on that by sort of expanding the the definition of neighbor. The next verse here, Ephesians 5.25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. So what we see from this is you're to love your spouse. And I know that doesn't sound like it's actual news, but it is news. Like you're to love your spouse. You're to love your spouse the way Christ loved you. You're to love your wife. You're to love your husband. So love your neighbor, love your spouse. 1 Timothy 5.8 talks about how we're to love our family members and to provide for them. So you can add family members to the list. And then it is easy to love some people. Uh, it's easy to love the lovable. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 47. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus, right? And, and so there are friends that are lovable that we are also to add to the list. So you've got neighbors, and you've got your spouse or your family members. You've got the lovable. You've got your friends. All these are a part of populating the list of who it is that we are called to love. And then Jesus adds one more category to the list. And we've talked about this before. We'll talk about it again because it's so difficult for us to get our minds and our lives around. But I want to be really clear with you that when Jesus says this, he is absolutely at the pinnacle of ethical morality. In other words, this love ethic that Jesus issues is the highest and holiest ethic that planet Earth has ever seen. Throughout all of history, no one has ever taught or modeled this type of love like Jesus has. So this is what Jesus says. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Okay, so you might want to circle love your enemies. Because he's adding enemies then to the list of people we are to love. Here's what this means. It looks like no matter who you are, no matter how you relate to me, I've got a job description that's given to me by God, and that job is to love. No matter who you are, no matter how you relate to me, my job description is to love you. And what that means is there's nothing you can do to work your way out of my responsibility to love you. Does that make sense? Jim, there's nothing you can do to work your way out of my responsibility to love you. Janie, there's nothing you can do to work your way out of my responsibility to love you. Is that that clear? That's the job description of a child of God, of those who follow Jesus. And we're to love our neighbor and our friends. We're to love our spouse, our family members, the lovable. We're to love our enemies as we love ourselves, which means that we actually have to do some work around loving ourselves well, so we'll be able to love others as well. And what I want to do is I want to jump into this passage from 1 John 4, 7, and 8, and I want us to unpack it a little bit because we will see that this passage really is, a, it provides a foundational kind of a place for followers of Jesus to stand on. So let's just jump in. starts, dear friends, some of your translations say beloved, Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Okay, so let's unpack this. It starts with dear friends. It starts with beloved. And you need to know that this is a letter written by the apostle John. And he's in his uh, sort of his golden years. Now, when John was young, maybe most scholars believe when he was a teenager, late teenager, he was a disciple of Jesus. So he spent three years with Jesus in his earthly ministry as a very young man, But when he's writing this letter, he's actually on the other end of his life trajectory. And so this is a man with a lot of wisdom. He's got a lot of experience. He's seen just this beautiful movement of God's spirit called the church. And he's seen beautiful victories in the church. He's seen, you know, betrayals and heartache in the church. And and I just imagine this elderly gentleman just... Just a, his eyes shining with kindness. I imagine that he just has such gentle love for the people that he's talking to. And, and maybe his eyes just have this beautiful crow's feet of smiling, a lifetime of, of just joy around them. And, and he's saying, dear friends, beloved, this, this is a message that I am longing to communicate to you. He says, let us continue to love one another. Now, some of your translations say, let us love one another, just, just use the verb love. But I want you to know the Greek tense, in this case, like so many other cases in the New Testament, it is the verb love, but it is more accurately translated love and continue to love. You don't have to cry, it's actually a beautiful, beautiful message here. And, and this idea of, uh, and Jesus actually uses this as well. You might recall when in your scripture you read where he tells us to ask and to seek and to knock and the door will be open. But the Greek language, the, the, the tense of that Greek is, is ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. So that's what it says here. We're to continue to love one another. Let me just say clearly, Overlake, you will never meet someone who is not a one another, okay? Everyone you meet is a one another. In fact, I, I just want you to look around right now. You're, you're surrounded by beautiful one another's. Can you just look to somebody and say, you're a one another. You're a one another, yeah. Yeah, you're a one another. Thank you. So am I. And when it says love and continue to love, you might be tempted to think it means act in a loving manner you might think it means to exhibit some behaviors that communicate love. And certainly that's a part of it. But, but I want you to understand it's deeper than that. It's, it, it, see, the call is to actually love. I, I remember when I was a young man, I was actually in a speech class in my undergrad education. And they talked about active listening, how to communicate to someone that you are actively listening to them. And you might remember some of these tips and tricks that they taught. It was like, when someone's speaking to you, look them in the eye. When someone's speaking to you, sort of nod your head in affirmation that you're tracking with them. Uh, when someone's speaking to you, you might want to rephrase what they just said in order to let them know, you know, that you're with them. Or, or maybe ask a follow-up question that uh, shows that, that you're with them. And then just recently, I heard a TED Talk. And the TED Talk was like this, listen, um, you don't have to do any tips to communicate that you're actively listening to someone if you actually listen to someone, right? (laughs) Like, that's the whole point. The whole point is not the tips and tricks. The whole point is to actually be present in the moment listening. And it's the same thing with love. So it's not about, like, the behaviors of love or, or trying to communicate love or just being polite or nice. Although those things are all, I think, a part of the equation. But truthfully, it's actually legitimately loving another person. And that means desiring the other person's best. Desiring the other person's flourishing, the other person's freedom and joy and vitality and blessing and being willing to work toward those things for the other person. Because, friends, get this. This is how God has loved you. God has loved you like this. He wants your flourishing and he wants your freedom. And he wants your vitality and he wants your abundance and, and he wants you to experience the very best of this life in eternity and he knows what is at the core of that is love and that's how he has worked so diligently on your behalf so that you will experience his love and experience all these beautiful things. Why? Because God loves you. That's how he's loved you and that's how we are called to love. And I want you to understand you can't love people that you're not willing to get close to. And Jesus models this again. This is why he does not remain far removed. But Jesus comes near and he is born to us. He's present with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. By the way, this kind of ministry is called incarnational ministry. And that's the ministry that we are called to to, to, to be incarnate with people in order to communicate th- to them the love of Jesus. John says, anyone who loves and continues to love is a child of God and knows God. So that's beautiful news, right? That's the core reality of our faith, that if we love, if we love in our mind, and our heart, if we love with our actions, if we love humbly and selflessly and with integrity, uh, then you are assured that you are God's kiddo. You're his child. You love him, and you're filled with his love, and you're showing his love, and, and, and you're his. And, and here's the fill-in. You show you know God by how you love. That's the filling. You show you know God by how you love. By the way, Jesus says exactly the same thing to his disciples. He says, the entire world will know that you are my followers by this, by the way you love one another. The love is the litmus test. That's how people are going to know that we are followers of Jesus by the way that we love. And then this next statement comes, and it's a bit more of a challenge. Uh, he says, anyone who does not love does not know God. That's that's a little strong kind of a message from Gentle John right here. And it feels just a little unsettling. And we like the first half of the equation that if we love, we're a child of God. Yeah! Uh, But if you don't love, you don't know God. Whoa. By the way, that was my best Keanu Reeves. Uh, Whoa. You might say, well, but I know all kinds of things about Jesus. But That's not the test. You might say, well, but I agree with everything that Jesus taught. That's not the test. You know, Jesus never said, a new commandment I give to you. Passively agree with everything I've taught, right? Like, that, that's just not it. That's not what the commandment is. Here's the commandment. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. And, and so many of you are doing this so well, and it's just a beautiful thing to be a part of this movement. But, but when I recognize this, and when I start to really grapple with this reality of how people think they know God or say they know God, but they don't love, i realize over the last 2,000 years of how many examples there are of people who, who said they are God's kids, who said they're followers of Jesus, and yet they were horrible to other people. People who said they love God, but they kill other people. Or people who say they love God, but torture other people, or enslave other people, or persecute other people, or judge. Or alienate, or malign, or lie, or steal, or perpetuate fear, or leverage injustice against, or are races against. And, and the list goes on and on and on. You know, one of the most heartbreaking examples of all this is the Inquisition. And, and, and we don't talk about this very often. But you might be familiar with this, that people were ordained to arrest and, 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 uh, and to, to prosecute those who were suspected of believing anything other than orthodox theology. And this was started by the Pope in the year 1231, and, and the final execution of the Inquisition in Spain happened in 1826. That's 600 years of the church utilizing the Inquisition as a tool, and and they would arrest people and torture people and execute people that they felt were not truly committed to Jesus. And and all the time, when I you know I have actually been asked this often. Really, would they would they really torture people? Wouldn't they just like you know kind of condemn them and shun them when they torture? No, they would really torture them. This is uh, an image of a thing called the Judas chair. And the Judas chair is something that they would they would hook a collar around a person and they would sit them on top of this chair and they would put weights on their legs, and I don't want to keep talking about it because we can remove that image even because it's just not something. You think, what was going on in their minds? You know who did all of this? They were priests convinced they were working for Jesus. See, I, I hope you understand that, that the call is to love The call is to love. The ethic is to love. That's the the heart of this whole thing. And when we get beyond it, we get around it, we get beneath it, we're missing out. By the way, the Inquisition is over. Thank God. But do you realize that there are people in churches all around the planet who still think that they work for the Inquisition? They still think it's their job to sort of root out anybody who doesn't behave exactly like they think they should behave? Anybody who doesn't believe exactly like they think they should believe, and once they find that person or once they find that group of people, then they're quick to judge and condemn. They're quick to, to extra, you know, to sort of ostracize and eradicate them from the fellowship. They're just so quick thinking that they're doing it for the purity of the church, but just missing out on the fact that God calls us to love. So, so let me just be super clear, overlay, because I love us. I love our family. I love our journey. Here. You have a job description to love. You were never given a job description of judge. We have a perfect judge. When you pretend that you're judge, you're operating way above your pay grade, okay? That's not your job description. Your job description is to love people. And when you don't love, you're missing out on God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. Right? Judging, bless you, judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. And the scripture also says, let us not love in in just word and in speech, but in action and in truth. Let's actually love. I heard a story about a young man who was walking downtown and he started to get a little hungry and so he came by a store and it had this flashing sign in the window. It said, world's best pizza. And so he goes into the counter, he orders a pizza, and the man behind the counter says, oh, we don't sell pizza. And the guy says, um, but your flashing sign says world's best pizza. And, and the guy says, well, we, we don't sell pizza. We sell flashing signs. In other words, we don't sell what we've advertised, right? And, and so the customer goes away. He's hungry, and, and, and I just want you to know that there are some churches like that. There are some churches that say, love, love, love. It's a flashing sign. But then we walk into it, and you don't experience that. And I just wanted to tell you over, like, I'm so thankful you're not that kind of church. Amen. I'm so thankful that you're the kind of church that actually loves. And that is, is, is just totally committed to understanding that this is God's call. And, and so how do we do this more, and how do we do this practically, and how do we do this uh, specifically, individually, intentionally? This is what God calls us to. So as children of God, we seek to actually, if you're filling in the blanks, love first and love last, love consistently, and love everybody. That's our call. And again, how do I get there? Pastor, how do you get to this conclusion? It's because of what God has done for us. This is how God loves. This is actually a description of what's found in the scripture as agape love. And the only way we can do this, the only way we can love first and last and consistently and everybody is with his help. Because two phrases in this passage we haven't even looked at yet are love comes from God and God is love. And so if you're actually loving and desiring the best for the other person and you're serving and caring and, and really loving them, then you have to know you're participating in the substance of God because love comes from God. It is impossible to love outside of God. It's impossible to love apart from him. You know, people can honestly and sincerely and selflessly participate in love without acknowledging him, but friends, God is still the source of love. Without God, there is no love. Love is not just an attribute of God. Love isn't a character quality of his. God is love. Love is who God is. Love is what God is made of, and God is what love is made of. And so if we want to be like God, we want to become love and loving. And that means we're going to love everybody, and we're going to see everybody, and accept everybody. and, 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 And you go, well, what's a practical way to do this? What's a practical way to love? How do I practically love an enemy? How do I practically love somebody that I disagree with? I'll just give you one example from my life this week. This week, I, I had the opportunity to have lunch with three different pastors individually. So, so three days this week, I had lunch with a pastor. And two of these pastors, um, I, I know, we don't see eye to eye. And I, and I know this. And, and one of these two, just based on the tone of some emails that I would received from him last month, I, I kind of got the impression that I was going to go get, you know, chewed out. I, I I just that happens from time to time. I knew I was gonna be in trouble, and 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 and, and uh, you might well you might go whoa, pastors are, are they? Can they be like they can? Remember the Inquisition like like that? <laughs> it, it it can happen, right? And so, so I just was a little bit you know. So I thought, well, uh, let's schedule it in a super public place. You know, a lot of people around, and just you know covering my bases and. And, uh, and, and I actually, I was, I was concerned enough about it that I was, I was legitimately praying about it, you know, for days before this meeting, and I asked friends to pray. And, and so I, I go in, and, and we meet, and we sit down, and I begin to ask him about his call to ministry. He's like, hey, I don't know much about you. I'd love to hear how you got into this thing. And so, so he starts telling me his story about how Jesus got a hold of his life, and and how Jesus started opening up doors for him. And he just kept walking through those doors and started a youth ministry and then continued. And his education continued. His experience continued. And he had all of these things going on. He talked about his wife and his children. And I just kept, he, just I was delighting in listening to him. And, and, and then he started asking me questions. So I started doing the same thing. Talking about my history and family relationships and all this stuff. And, and it was this incredibly humanizing experience. Over the lunch table, and it was one of those amazing things where I realized that it wasn't important, so important about the things that divided us, when we were spending all of this time uniting around the person of Jesus. Amen. That there was a, there was this there was more beautiful, a more holy, a more high reality and. And I got into the car after that lunch and I drove away and I was just talking to Jesus. I was telling him thank, thank you. I, I, I really felt like Jesus showed up and he answered my prayer and all that. And, and, but then Jesus kind of put something in my heart and it was really, it was so beautiful. I was driving away and, and Jesus just impressed on me. You know, Mike, you love him. You love him. And I do. I love him. I want his flourishing. I want his ministry to thrive. I want him and his church to continue to grow and to to be beautiful and prosper and and, and I am so for him in a way that that if I hadn't gone near, if I hadn't uh, you know come close, if I hadn't allowed myself to sit with, I would have missed out on this love. Does that make sense and and so so that would be one thing. This is how I would recommend that you would connect with and love people that you disagree with, that you don't see eye to eye with, that you are, find yourselves on different ends of the political spectrum or whatever it is, you know, however you reckon enemies. This is how I would encourage you. And then you would say, well, what if the per- – you guys, you connected around Jesus, right? So that's easy. You guys had Jesus in common. You, you might say, well, what if you don't have Jesus? What if the other person isn't acknowledging Jesus or, or following Jesus? then here's my recommendation for you. My recommendation is that as you sit with someone, what you do is you recognize the dignity in each image bearer of God. You recognize the dignity of each image bearer of God. Because, listen, listen to me. Even if that other person doesn't recognize Jesus or doesn't follow Jesus, the truth is they're still made in his image. And so what you can do is you can honestly seek to find it in them. You can honestly come near and seek to find common ground or connecting or places to value or values to affirm. You can really do that work of trying to honor and recognize the dignity of each and every image bearer of God. And for the follower of Jesus, love is not just a value among many. It's not just one value in a list. Love is actually... The only value. It is the highest and only value that there is. Now, I don't mean that there's not other things that we have to keep in mind or, or that now suddenly all of the commandments in the scripture are, are like mood or anything. Here's what I mean. It actually right sizes all of the commands. You don't even have to worry about the moral or the legal commands that are found in scripture if love is your only value. And I'll just give you some examples. The Bible says thou shalt not steal but you don't even have to worry about remembering that commandment if you actually love people. Because if you love people, you won't steal from them. That's just one of those value conflict things, right? Oh, I love you, I'm gonna take your stuff. You can't do that. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill. It's really hard to kill people you love. It is hard, I I would imagine it's hard. I've not done it, but I just... I would say, to me, it's really difficult to conceive of loving somebody you actually, or killing someone you actually love. The Bible says thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife, right? And here's why. Because if you love your neighbor, if you love both husband and wife of your neighbor, you're not going to want to covet. You're not going to want to act on your desires of covetousness because that's like throwing a hand grenade in a family picnic, and you wouldn't do that to people you love. Are you with me? And those are just all the negative commands. All of the positive ones are the same, to be generous, to be kind, to be patient. Why, these are all subsets of what? Love. Love is the value, and everything else flows from that value. And Jesus says this in John 13. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So the reason why that's important is, and I'd love to have you write this in your notes somewhere, who is the model for the way that we're to love jesus right That's always the answer in church but uh it is jesus in this case that jesus is the one we look at as he has loved me that's how i then need to love people now it is okay to be real and it, it we recognize that all of us are on this authentic journey each one of us has words we are all works in progress we know that's true And the challenge is to be real and accept that we are all on a journey. But listen to this. If we know and accept that we are on a journey, then we need to be willing to accept that the other person is on a journey as well. And this is where grace comes in. Grace to accept ourselves and to love others. Grace to accept the other and to love the other. This is extravagant grace paired with outlandish love. And so practically speaking, what this means is we're to love when you're at the service department of your car dealership and the bill is just so much higher than you thought it was going to be. And I'm speaking hypothetically, of course, uh, from last Wednesday. (laughs) This is love your annoying neighbor. This is love the person that you demonize. Oh, wait, you can't demonize a person you love. This is love the friend on the opposite end of the political spectrum or love the person who thinks that you're wrong. Love the person who pushes your buttons. You know, my, my gut is that we all know somebody who knows how to push our irritation button. We all know somebody who knows how to push our frustration button. Please don't elbow anyone. You might be sitting next to them right now. You might be their person, right? Listen, it's, it's, it's not... Pretend that we'll never have conflict. This challenge is not agree outlandishly. This challenge isn't even like outlandishly. The challenge is to love outlandishly because of Jesus. And that's what this verse says on your outline on the screen, 1 John 4, 8, and 9. God showed how much he loved us. So this is his example. He showed us his outlandish love by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Can you circle that phrase? This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. So Jesus is the picture, he's the model, he's the power source. And so I wanna break this down, and we've actually walked through this example before, and I I wanna do it again, because I feel like this is so important. Um, What I wanna do is I wanna start with you. And I'm feeling, yeah, I want to start with you. And I want to start with you personally. So, so individually, you. I'm talking about every single one of you in this room right now. I'm talking about those of you watching online. Just you personally. You need to know that this is about you, okay? So I just want you to think. So, all right, me, Mike Houghton, right? It's you. And then I want to make this a little more universal. I, I want to recognize that it's you no matter what country you're from. So there are 190-plus countries around the planet no matter what country you hail from. I've got a book. It's a beautiful book, and it has pictures and information about every country on the planet. It's so amazing to me as I flip through that book, recognizing that I don't even know the names of some of these countries, but Jesus knows everything about every person in every country. Right? So, so you, universal here. And it's not just what country you're from, but no matter what creed you're, you, you hail from, or background, or lifestyle, or ethnicity, identification, or race, no matter what tongue or tribe, no matter what education level, economic level, I'm talking about you universally. So every single person on planet Earth, here's the truth. Jesus welcomes you. You matter to Jesus. Jesus loves you. This is the truth. Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Come on, somebody. (laughs) right? We've all sung that song. And now what I want to do is I want to take those same truths because we know they're true from Scripture. This is how Jesus loves. And because we look to Jesus and we aspire to model what Jesus modeled, we want to make this true in our own hearts as well. And so what that means is, make it personal, I welcome you. Right? I welcome you. You matter to me. I love you. And if you can, what I'd like to do is I'd like to encourage you to say those three lines with me. Right now, I just want you to process. And again, it's not on your own strength. It's not on our own motivation. It's because of Jesus. Could you repeat these with me? I welcome you. You matter to me. I love you. And if you can say that last line, or at least seek to live into that last line, and I know know most of us want to. Most of us are trying to. Most of us are trying to build into our lives this direction and purpose and intention. And and the thing is, if you can say that last line and mean that last line, then, 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 friends, we are children of God. We're children of God. The, The Bible says everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And that's true. If you if you seek to live into that last line of "I love you," but friends, if you can't say that last line, and if you don't want to be challenged to say that last line, if you're not interested in growing in purpose and intention and moving toward this love of Jesus for everyone, then the Bible tells us clearly: you're missing out on God. You're missing out on Him. You might think you know Him, but the Bible says you're mistaken, just like those priests during the Inquisition. And the reason why is because God is love, and his love is so clearly displayed. His love is so eternally settled in the person of Jesus. And I, I never want you to forget, Overlake, and I, I really want this to be the final thought that you walk out of here with, okay? And it's this truth that you matter to Jesus. You matter to Jesus. You matter to him. You matter to him so much that he left his father's side to be born in a stable. You matter to him so much that he he lived this life of humility and poverty and integrity and perfection. You matter to him so much that he was propelled by love and he modeled love and he was love incarnate. You matter to him so much that he went to the cross for all of the sin that you've committed. You matter to him so much that he allowed himself to be ridiculed and spit upon, to have that crown of thorns thrust on his head, to have the beard ripped from his face. He submitted to beatings and humiliations. He was whipped and scorned and bruised and broken. He was sacrifice and fulfillment and resurrection. And through it all, he proved that you matter to him. You matter to Jesus. And he's the one who shows us what real love is. And so I want to invite you to receive his love today. I want you to invite you to receive it and be filled by his love today. And then I want to invite you to share that love with the people in your world, the people that you meet, the people that God has actually ordained for you to interact with. Would you outlandishly love because you are outlandishly loved. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that it all starts with you and we know that you are the one who has been so gracious and so patient. You have shown us such kindness. You have have known everything about us. You've seen every misstep. You've seen every time we have missed the mark and yet Jesus, your consistent love for us, your consistent agape wrapping us in your beautiful love your reckless love, your love that pursues us. Lord, it's why we're here today. It's why we're who we are. It's why we have hope. It's why we have joy. It's why we can walk in peace. It's all because of your love and your initiation of a relationship with you that starts now and lasts for eternity. And Jesus, for all of these things, we tell you thanks. We are so, so grateful for you. But Jesus, when it comes to this, this challenge, this call that you have on our lives to outlandishly love people in this world, to outlandishly love those who are both easy to love and difficult to love, we just confess that we need your help. So would you fill us up, Lord Jesus, with your love? Fill us right now. We receive your love in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask that you would absolutely fill us up. Allow your love to fill and overfill our lives so that we would love everyone you bring into contact with us. We want to make sure that people who see us and interact with us understand that we love them because we're loved by you. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.